Amen. Thank you, Robin. Great song, great thought, great job. It's a wonderful thing to cast our cares on the Lord Jesus Christ. Leave them there. I think so many uh, Christian people carry loads in life that they don't need to. Amen? Go ahead and get in your Bible, if you would, please, Exodus chapter 21. Exodus chapter 21, I came in this morning, really loved the Christmas decorations. I appreciate our team of folks that put those all uh, together. It's good to see Brother Doug there in the back, finally uh, back for the first time after his knee replacement, and uh, always good to see somebody get healed up, come back to the house of God, amen? If you don't uh, have a Bible with you, there's one near you, it's got a hard black cover, We'll be on page 62. Page 62. We recently started a Sunday morning series on great truths communicated with simple words because profound things are best understood by most of us when they are communicated through the vehicle of simplicity. In fact, when people try to communicate profound things with difficult words, most of us either don't understand or we misunderstand what is being taught. And God made sure the most important things to Him are communicated to us in a simple manner. He communicates things in a simple manner that are most important to Him. He also very often repeats them to make sure we understand that those things deserve our emphasis I have told you many times now, I have a list of 916 verses in our Bible that are all one-syllable words, with the exception of names and numbers. That means about 3% of the verses in our Bible have nothing but one-syllable words other than names and numbers. I do not believe that our Bible is too difficult to understand. If you have trouble understanding this Bible, I believe it is a product of our lack of effort. It is a product of our failure to understand our own language. I believe it is a failure to yield to the Holy Spirit, who is our teacher. Previous generations that we would look down on as being less educated because they don't know how to run a phone, uh, understood this Bible just fine. And so from that list, I put together a series of messages on great truths God chose to communicate in simple words. Last week, we talked about Enoch walking with God. And in the simplest terms, God made sure we understood that he wants to walk with his people. In fact, in Enoch's case, he walked with God by faith and then one day just disappeared. And even though the doctrine is not taught until the New Testament, Enoch became a picture of the New Testament doctrine of the rapture of all believers. And you may disagree, but I hope Christ returns today and we meet Him in the clouds uh, in the air to ever be with the Lord. And for someone to walk with God, we talked about making sure that we're in agreement with God because God doesn't change. It is you and I that need to change our behavior, change our attitude, change our beliefs if we want to walk with God and walk where He is walking. And the New Testament has a lot to say about how a believer ought to walk. In fact, it very specifically tells us that we ought to walk to please God rather than pleasing ourselves or the world in which we live. And we rejoiced that we have a God, a Creator, a Savior who wants to walk with us. This morning we return again to the Old Testament to discuss a great truth about human government given to us in the simplest terms. There's no secret to those of us in this room this morning 
that America basically is split about right down the middle in our views of government. Now, it is troubling to many people here that America is so divided, but understand America being very divided is nothing new in our 250-year history. America was very divided in the days of the Revolutionary War as to whether we should break off from England and if breaking away from England was actually worth fighting a war over. There was a huge division in our country as there has been in many times uh, and not just today. But it is troubling. Have you ever considered the fact that much of this division over our government has to do with whether or not someone has a biblical perspective on government? Have you ever considered the fact that God, who so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, also has a way that man would be governed that would be good for man? Listen, if He so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, how is it unreasonable that He wouldn't teach us how we would best be governed? And as we'll see in a few moments, there is a quality that betters human government that is also a key ingredient to good parenting, and it is a key ingredient to good leadership of any sort. There's a story of a young woman who liked to walk through the park near her house after work, and one day she decided to have her picture taken by a photographer who would often set up his booth there and provide the picture to the people before they left. She was so excited that day to get her picture taken, she got a brand new set of spring clothes. It was a beautiful sunshiny day. She did her hair and makeup just so. And after she was photographed, she was walking out of the park and she began to look a little more closely at the picture and she just turned and kind of huffed back to the photographer. When she got to him, she looked him in the face and said, you know, this picture really doesn't do me justice. And the photographer who was a little crotchety he looked at the picture, and he looked at her, and he said, Ma'am, you don't need a picture that does you justice. You need mercy. Most of us need some mercy when it comes to our pictures. But did you know that justice is one of the most important qualities of good government as well as good leadership and good parenting? If you're able to stand, if you would stand this morning, please. In honor of God's word, the title of my thought is an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. In Exodus chapter 21, verse 22, God's word says, If men strive and hurt a woman with child, so that her fruit depart from her, and yet no mischief follow, he shall surely be punished. According as the woman's husband will lay upon him, he shall pay as the judges determine. And if any mischief follow, then thou shalt give life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burning for burning, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. Thank you, you might be seated. And many New Testament believers don't clearly understand their relationship with the law of Moses. They quite frankly, haven't been taught much about it. They do rightly know that they are not under the law of Moses because of Christ, but because they fail to understand the law of Moses has three parts instead of just one. They pay very little attention to the book of Exodus through 
the book of Deuteronomy. And though these three parts go by different names at times, the most common division of these three parts of the book of Moses or the law of Moses is the commandments and the statutes and the judgments. In fact, that specific division is used 14 separate times in 14 separate verses. The commandments are the moral laws of God. These are expressed in the Ten Commandments, and they reflect the unchangeable, righteous, holy character of our Creator. And those commandments are just as applicable today as they were when God gave them to Moses and the people of Israel from Sinai long ago. The second division of the law of Moses is the judgments. Those are the laws for Israel's government. When God delivered Israel out of Egyptian slavery, He established a human government over His people, Israel. And these, the judgments, that is, they express the penalties that government and judges were supposed to apply to lawbreakers. Now, those laws, they do not directly apply to us because you and I live under a democratic republic here in America, and they lived under a theocracy, that is a government directly controlled by God. And though the laws themselves and the details do not apply, the principles still apply to us today. The third section of the law of Moses was the statutes. Those are the religious laws for Israel. And God established, after He delivered Israel from slavery there in Egypt, He established the religion of Judaism. And those laws, the statutes that is, they express what God wanted from the priests and how He wanted things done in the tabernacle and how He wanted worship done and how He wanted the sacrifices offered. In fact, if you are a Bible reader, when you start reading through parts of Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers, sometimes we get a little bogged down in the details of the Jewish sacrifices and holy days and those sorts of things. And those religious laws, those statutes, they were fulfilled by Christ. And so they really don't have anything directly to do with us today. They all, in some way or another, pictured what Jesus would do and who He was and in His great work at Calvary for you and I. But they don't apply to us. Christ fulfilled them. See, nobody can properly understand their relationship with the law of Moses until they understand this threefold division. There are a lot of great errors that are linked in some way to failing to see these three divisions. For instance, if you try to take and make the New Testament church like the Old Testament religious of Judaism and all the formality and all the priests, uh, you don't have a New Testament church. The church doesn't get its instructions from Leviticus. We get them from the New Testament. In fact, it's also a great error to apply commandments given to the government of Israel to you and I as individuals. The section of the Scripture we just read was linked to the government rather than individuals. Notice in verse 22, if men strive and hurt a woman with child so that her fruit depart from her and yet no mischief follow, he shall surely be punished according to the woman's husband will lay upon him and he shall pay as the judges Determine. This has something to do with government. It's instruction for the judges, their government, and how they handle this situation. And if someone hurt a pregnant woman, causing her to give birth prematurely, both the mother and the life of the child were to be respected and handled with justice. 
In fact, if neither the mother nor the baby's life for loss, the husband had something to say about the punishment of the offender, and both in he and the judges were supposed to do justice. And that's verses 23 to 25. And if any mischief follow, then thou shalt give life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, bur- bur- foot for foot, burning for burning, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. You see, the life of the unborn child mattered. And if someone hurt a pregnant woman causing the unborn child to die, the judges enforced life for life. Life, as far as God is concerned, has always begun at conception rather than when a child passes through the birth canal, unlike baby killers in our day. But it wasn't just the life of the baby that mattered. Also, the mother herself mattered. And if someone wounded a mother, causing her to give birth prematurely, but the child lived, whatever wound was done to the mother, the judges were supposed to make sure happened to the offender. If both the mother and baby lived, justice was to be done. Eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, wound for wound, burning for burning. Listen, it was never okay, and even in the Old Testament, for people to cut or burn or beat people in personal revenge. It was the government who was supposed to exact justice. Individuals, even in Old Testament days, were always supposed to treat people well. In fact, in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18, Jesus Himself called, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. He called it the second greatest commandment in the Old Testament. God's people were always supposed to treat people well. And so when someone talks about taking eye for eye or tooth for tooth for someone doing them wrong, They're taking vengeance that belongs only to God and justice that was not to be carried out by them as an individual, but rather by the government. And so in the simplest terms, our Creator emphasizes the importance of human government and leaders doing justice. In verse 24, all one-syllable words, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. Now this principle of justice is so important that our great Creator repeated some form of this command of the government three times in the law of Moses just to make sure we understood. Leviticus 24.20 says, Breach for breach, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, as he hath caused a blemish in a man, so shall it be done to him again. Deuteronomy chapter 19, verse 21 says, Life for life, eye for eye, hand for hand, foot for foot. Now at this point, it would be easy to spend the rest of our message talking about ways that our government, either in history or in recent days, has been unjust. I could spend easily 10 or 15 minutes just taking stories from our news about injustice in our government. But my point and my purpose this morning is not to get you worked up about the flaws of our political system. There are plenty of politicians, news outlets, Facebook posts, and talk radio shows that are there to work you up over those things. It would be easy to spend the rest of my message talking about personal illustrations, and I could spend easily 15 minutes talking about injustices done to me or my family over the years. 
But my purpose this morning is not to get you feeling sorry for me or for you to look back over injustices done to you and to make you sorry for yourself or angry about what is done. Listen, we live in an unjust world. My purpose this morning is to get everyone to see how highly our Creator values justice. And because He so highly values justice, He expressed His desire for justice in government and among leaders in the simplest terms. In one-syllable words. Now none of us get to determine how we're treated by others. Though I do believe what we do can either bring out the best or worst in people. Few of us, beyond voting, have much to say about how much justice is done in our culture by our government or her representatives. But hear me when I say all of us get to determine how much we value justice and how much justice you and I bring into the circle of the influence of our lives. In 1983, a woman's skull was unearthed near Chester, England in a peat bog near the home of Peter Bain Bard. When the skull was discovered, Peter Ben Bard went to the police and he confessed that years earlier he had strangled his wife, hacked up her body to pieces, and buried it in a bog near his house when she threatened to expose his homosexuality. His crime was years earlier than the skull was found, and he was so sure that that skull belonged to his wife that he confessed the whole thing. Weeks after his confession, and they did some analysis on the skull, the skull turned out that it was from a woman who died 1,600 years earlier and had nothing to do with him strangling his wife Malika. But hear me when I say there is no escaping our own unconscience. There is no escaping our internal desire for justice. And Peter Bart was put on trial for murder because of that. The wheels of God's justice may grind slowly at times, but hear me when I say, God will make sure that exact justice is done either in this life or in the life to come. And what I'd like to do this morning is just spend some time making observations and applications of our Creator desiring justice, both in government and in leaders. Please first go in your Bible to Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3. Here's number one. Justice must be exacted for all the sins each of us have committed. Justice must be exacted for all of the sins each of us have committed. Notice in verse 24 of Romans chapter 3 says, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Notice we're justified by His grace through Christ's redemption. Verse 25, whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation through faith in His blood to declare His righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God. To declare, I say at this time, His righteousness that He might be just and of the justifier of him which believeth in, Je in Jesus. See, we may not love justice like we should, but justice is a foundational part of our God's character. Justice is receiving the exact and perfectly balanced reward for doing good and punishment for doing bad. 
Justice is giving each person exactly what they deserve. But only God himself has the moral authority to decide what is the proper reward for what is good and the proper reward for what's done that's bad. And so because God is just, it's no surprise that we find Jesus being called the just one several times in the New Testament. But since our Savior and our Creator are just, we must either have the the redemption that God offers in Christ or die in our sins. Verse 24, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Listen, God's redemption from our sins is offered us freely by grace through Jesus Christ. No one can do enough good works to justify themselves and obtain their redemption. And because God Himself shed His blood at Calvary to pay the wages of our sin, He can be just and the justifier of those that believe in Jesus. And that's how verse 26 closed, that He might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. You see, if you and I put it simply, with Christ in our life and his forgiveness, the wages of our sins have justly been paid by Christ, and if you are not in Christ, then the wages of your sins will earn you eternal damnation. That's justice. The wages of our sin is death. Physical death and the second death await anyone who has not asked Christ to wash away their sin. Our Creator and Judge would no longer be just if He overlooked even one sin. God is a just judge. You might be th- sitting there thinking, well, you know, I haven't killed anybody, and I haven't raped anybody, and, and, and I haven't kidnapped anybody. But, but listen, God has a bigger list of moral commandments than those things. Uh, God cares about our integrity. He said, don't lie. God cares about our respect of the other people's property. He said, don't steal. God cares about how we respect our parents. He said, honor your father and mother. God cares about a lot more than the, quote, big things. And all it takes is any offense against the law of God. And God, if He allowed that person to live forever with Him in heaven, would no longer be just. I mean, what would you think about a human judge who had a guilty murderer or rapist in his courtroom and he let them go because they were his friend or his family? You would say, well, that's an unjust judge. And I'm sitting here saying to you this morning that because God is just, that no one makes it into heaven unless their sins have all been paid for. And if you're saved... God poured the justice for your sins on Jesus Christ. And if you're unsaved, God poured your sins on Jesus Christ. But if you reject Christ, you will take the justice for your sins. See, God, when He did that, did that so He could remain just and be the justifier of them which believe in Jesus Christ. God is a judge, and He is the one who determines what is a just punishment. Let me ask you, why, if, if you're not in Christ, why wouldn't you call Him this morning? How, how could you sit here and listen to me tell you that, that listen, uh, God is a just judge, and your choices are either to come to Christ because ju- God 
poured out His wrath for your sins on Jesus Christ, or you can reject Christ and have God's wrath poured out on you. How can you do that? Why would you choose that? Why wouldn't you take the one way of escape our Creator made? That, that way is not me. It's not the Baptist church. It's not you. That way is Jesus. Thank God the exact justice for my sins was placed on Christ so that I can have redemption today. Now from what I understand, the President of the United States has the authority to give a full pardon to anyone for any crime that they have committed. Not surprisingly... <laughs> Many convicted criminals make application to the president to pardon them. I'm told that in eight years, George Bush received 2,498 requests for pardon, and he granted 189. In eight years, Barack Obama received 3,395 requests, and he pardoned 1,715. In four years, Donald Trump received 1,969 requests, and he pardoned 144. Hear me when I say Jesus Christ pardons everyone that comes to Him. You humble yourself. You decide that you're going to put your faith in Christ instead of your good works or your religion or the Baptist church or your baptism that you are just going to fully put your weight and faith for your eternal life on the finished work of Jesus Christ and God can remain just and justify you for the sins you've committed. In fact, if you don't yet have salvation, in a moment, we'll invite you to come to Christ. and You can obtain mercy instead of justice for your sins. And secondly, this morning, if you go in your Bible to Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2. I said, first, justice must be exacted. For all the sins that each of us have committed. Here's number two. As Christian people, we should be promoting justice in our world and demonstrating justice. Titus chapter 2, verse 11 and 12. By the way, we turn to these verses a lot. You say, why? Because these verses have a lot of practical application in light of what goes on in American Christianity to you and I today. Titus chapter 2. Verse 11, for the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. By, by the way, how many people did the grace of God that bringeth salvation appear to? Okay, not some, not just the elect, all men. Notice in verse 12, teaching us that. So the grace of God that bringeth salvation that appeared to all men. What does God's grace teach us that brought salvation to all men? Teaching us that, denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. So in light of the grace of God that brings us salvation, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. How should we live now as a follower? Jesus soberly, righteously, and godly, because God saved us by grace. Now, one of those terms in there is the word godly. The word godly means like God. 
And so when we think about the fact that as believers in Jesus, we're supposed to live godly lives to be like God, when we think about the fact that our God is love, that means as a follower of Jesus, we should be loving. When we think about the fact that our God is good, that means we should be good if we would be godly. When we think about the fact that our God is holy and our God is righteous, uh, it means that we should be holy and righteous. When we think about the fact that our God is merciful and gracious, it means that if we would be godly, we should be merciful and gracious. But understand, our God is not just loving and gracious and merciful and kind, though He is that, He's also just. And so part of living godly in this present world is to love justice and to live and value doing justice. In fact, if you go back a page, it's no surprise that in the qualifications for a spiritual leader in chapter 1 and verse 8, look at these qualifications. That leader is supposed to be a lover of hospitality, a lover of good men, sober, Isn't it amazing how much that word shows up in the New Testament for how we ought to behave? Contrast that with so-called churches that have tailgate parties with alcohol in their parking lot. Contrast that with Anthony Munoz, who used to be a respected Christian in our area, uh, advertising Modelo beer. So I don't like you doing that. Hey, I didn't tell you anything wrong. Those leaders said sober, just, holy, temperate. One of the qualities, and it's no surprise, because all believers are supposed to be godly, and it's no surprise that leaders should especially be godly, and because our God is a just God, that a leader should be just. See, a leader values justice no matter what. The leadership role is that's a husband in his own home. That's a parent with their own children. That's a pastor in the church he leads. That's a government official of any sort. Now, we'll, we'll get to merciful and gracious in a moment, but we're laying the foundation now on which mercy and grace are built. You see, as Christians, you and I should want justice done by the government as our God defines justice. So what do you mean? I mean, for instance, God defines justice as someone who commits first-degree murder having their life forfeit for that murder. And so I don't think that's justice. Well, you disagree with God. He said if man, uh, for man's blood is shed, well, let me just quote it here. It says, whoso sheddeth man's blood by man shall his blood be shed for in the image of God made he man. By the way, that's not in the law of Moses. That's in Genesis chapter 9 after the flood. See, it doesn't matter if you and I think uh, that's not just. God said it was. And you and I should be promoting justice in government. Listen, it's not just to cut off a man's hand for stealing. It's not just like they do under Sharia law to execute an apostate. God wants justice, and He defines what is just and righteous. Our God is a just God. Our Savior is a just Savior, and He values us promoting and demonstrating justice in our life. In fact, He uh, makes some great promises. He says in Proverbs 9.9, teach a just man, and he will increase in learning. 
He says in Proverbs 20, verse 7, the just man walketh in his integrity, his children are blessed after him. Listen, are you here a parent? Uh, are you a grandparent? You want to have your children blessed? Live a just life. Proverbs 24, 16 says, For a just man falleth seven times and riseth again. Hear me when I say justice is important, but Christianity builds on this foundation of justice when it comes to how we handle people personally. Remember, there are some values that are great in leadership and great in government that are bad for personal relationships. I hope if you're here in your marriage, your foundational truth for your marriage is not eye for eye, tooth for tooth, foot for foot, burning for burning you're not going to have a healthy relationship. Listen, I've known some people who try eye for eye in their relationships. In fact, there's probably some people here. You've not recognized that that philosophy in your personal relationship is very destructive for a personal relationship. I mean, justice is great in government, and we should be treated justly by police officers, judges, and leaders. But in our personal relationships, we need more than justice if that relationship is going to be good. You see, justice is a key foundational value, but Christ has asked more than justice from those of us who follow Him. Which gets us to our third thing, number three, and lastly. Promoting justice and doing justice as a leader opens the door for us to be merciful and gracious. Promoting justice and doing justice as a leader opens the door for mercy and grace. See, being godly, like we saw a moment ago, it's not just justice. It includes being merciful and gracious. Remember, mercy is not getting the bad consequences justice demands. Our God is merciful. His mercy endureth forever. We should be merciful. By the way, that's a good value to build a healthy relationship. Grace is the getting the good consequences that justice deserves, and then some. God is gracious. He gives us more good than justice causes us to deserve. And we're supposed to be gracious. By the way, gracious is another value that builds healthy relationships. But have you come to understand that we cannot recognize mercy until we first understand what justice calls for. There's some parents here, and they don't always raise kids with good values and character because they didn't establish their relationship on justice. See, see, in your own mind, you're always supposed to be merciful and you're always supposed to be gracious and your children don't value mercy or grace because they don't know what justice calls for. Your children will never value being treated with mercy and they will never value being treated with grace until they really understand what the justice for what they did or didn't do calls them. By the way, you and I will never appreciate what God did in our life unless we first understand what God's justice calls for in our life. 
See, when we understand that our sins rightly bring the wrath of God and condemn us to the lake of fire, you know what? Then we can step back and appreciate God making us His own dear child. We can, we can appreciate God wanting to walk with us. When we understand what the just consequences of who we are deserves, we appreciate God's mercy. When we rightly understand that we have earned the wrath of God because you and I have lied and we've cheated and we've stolen and we've been selfish and we've been prideful and we haven't loved God with all of our heart and we didn't prioritize God above other things in life. When we really understand what the justice for who we are brings, we appreciate God opening a door to us to call Him Father. We appreciate God opening a door to wanting to walk with us and be close to us. But it all begins with understanding justice. Listen, our children or anyone who looks to us in a leadership role of any sort, they will never understand mercy and grace we show unless they understand what justice called for in the situation. As parents, we must lay the foundation of justice when we handle our children or they'll never understand them receiving grace and mercy. So what do you mean? Well, say your child does something and you ground them for a week. And after three days, because they received the punishment well and kept their attitude good after they were disciplined, you go to them and say, you know, you really deserve the week that I gave you, but because you've received this well, we're going to let you off after three days. Then they appreciate that. If you're so short-sighted as a parent that you just say, well, you get three days, and, and, and then you never, you, you never teach them justice. You, never te- you do something different every time. You, you fly off the handle and say, eh! You never teach them justice, and so they never learn what mercy and grace are. And you wonder why their thinking is so messed up. You, you, they have a test at school, and they do a lousy job, and you blame the teacher. And you wonder why their attitude about learning is messed up. They have no idea about what justice is and what it means to receive mercy or what it means to receive grace. And at the root of that all is you didn't start with justice because there is no understanding of receiving mercy or grace from God or people or leaders of any sort unless we've taught justice. I hope by the grace of God, every believer will embrace This great truth about justice given to us in the simplest terms. And I also hope, by the grace of God, that we will build on this foundation of justice to have healthy personal relationships. Hear me when I say if all you show your child is justice, you are doing them injustice. That is just as bad as you never showing them grace or mercy. Because in the end, what you have done inadvertently is giving them a wrong view of God. And a wrong view about how God handles life. You see, on the foundation of justice, we need to build mercy and grace to be godly in this present world. 
on the foundation of justice. We need to build forgiveness and long-suffering to be godly in this present world. On the foundation of justice, we need to build kindness and love toward the fallen to be godly in this present world. Eye for eye, tooth for tooth, burning for burning, stripe for stripe is good government, but bad personal relationships if it stands alone. It is a stepping block, not an ending point. Amen? You quietly stand this morning.